Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to the uh, podcast for this Sunday morning. Hope you're having a good one. Hope you had a great weekend. Final weekend of summer. I go by that, by the way. I say that all the time and people always say to me, they go, no, it isn't. Labor Day's the end of summer. And I say, no, technically. I'm very nerdy. Technically, technically. Uh, it's September. I always remember it's September 22nd. It's my brother's birthday. I always remember. It's the last day of summer slash first day of fall. And uh, I want. I love this. This is absolutely, I think I say this every week, absolutely my favorite time of year. By a mile, my favorite time of year. It, this, this time of year has everything. Okay? Because it has that just the, the earliest hints of fall weather, right? Just that little cool crispness in the air. But you still get the summer weather like during the day. You still get 75 degrees, sunshine, it's warm. It's literally like I'm recording this yesterday, Saturday. I went, I, I just came back from going swimming with my son. My child, by the way, is such a water baby. He loves the pool. Loves, loves, loves the pool. And uh, he and I, this summer, a handful of times, have had some very good bonding at the pool we play a game where he throws a ball and i dive for the ball and i like you know go under the water and he just loves it it's just one of those things that he just loses his shit laughing at me falling under the water to pick up to uh catch the ball and i love it so much so adorable and i just want to like squeeze the last seconds out of it so i've been really really busy lately work's been crazy and uh this afternoon i just i i had to i like i i pried in a couple of hours to take him to the swimming pool for probably the last time of the season. Although I did see it's supposed to be nice next weekend, but nonetheless. Anyway, love this time of year because you get a little everything. You know, the crisp air of fall. You get the the summer during the day. It's kind of summer. It's kind of fall, like, all at the same time. Plus, football's back. Plus, I'm a pasta sauce salesman, and that go, the, those sales pick up right after Labor Day. Uh, it's just perfect in so many different ways. Uh, but I will say... The one thing that has dampened this fall so far, or at least the end of summer, was last Sunday and watching the Bills and the Browns both play. Because I saw things on both both of those teams that scared that living hell out of me. Let's start with the Bills, because I know a lot of people listening to this. I see my numbers. I know most of my listeners are in Rochester. So uh, the Bills did not look good. And, I, and here's the thing. People sleep on the Steelers. The Steelers are not a bad team. The Steelers are, I believe the Steelers, well, let, well, let's be honest with you. The Steelers are the defending AFC North champions. I mean, you can't say that the Steelers aren't a good team. You can't even say they're average. The Steelers have to be at absolute worst an above average team. Now, the Bills are supposed to be a good team. That's the problem. And last week, they just did not look good. Uh, I think that one of the biggest things that stuck out to me as a fan as someone who's not deep into the inner workings of the offseason, who pays attention basically weeks one through 17 and then literally doesn't pay attention again until week one of the following season. No, like seriously, I don't, I don't even, I don't care about preseason. I watched, I, you know, I'm a Browns fan first and foremost. I probably watched five total minutes of preseason football. So I basically pick up everything I'm going to know about my team. I pick up in week one. And the number one takeaway for me from the Bills was a year ago, a year ago, we knew the Bills had absolutely no ability to run the football. Guess who else appears to know that now? The other teams. Because the Steelers 
played the pass the whole time. And Josh Allen, and this is where we'll get a little scarier, actually, because look, I get it's one game. Everyone likes to overanalyze week one. But Josh Allen didn't look great in that game. He was back to inaccurate, deer in the headlights, Josh. But the running game. So the one thing that popped out to me about the Bills was they didn't address the running game. When I saw that Devin Singletary was still their running back, I was like, huh? I mean, I literally just spent the end of last season feeling bad for Devin Singletary because I was like, well, he lost his job, you know. Obviously, he lost his job. I mean, what the hell? They, they didn't even address the running back situation. They got Devin Singletary and Zach Moss out there again. They can't run the football. Other teams are on to the fact they can't run the football. They're going to challenge Josh Allen to make the throw. Josh Allen's talented. He's got a hell of an arm. He'll make the throw a lot of times. But if, that, if, they, if you know it's coming... You don't stand a chance if you're the Bills. So I didn't like it. I mean, I know the Bills played, you know, people, again, they sleep on the Steelers. They thought the Bills were supposed to waltz to victory week one. They played a tough team. Now, the problem with the the, the Bills is now they play Miami, and Miami is not a pushover anymore, right? Miami's a good team now. Miami's considered to be the number one contenders for the uh, AFC East against the Bills. So it'll be a really interesting week, too, for the Bills. Now, the Browns, on the other hand, I was more optimistic about the Browns' performance because for three and a half quarters, they looked cool, calm, collected, and they legitimately went at the Kansas City Chiefs, who I think almost nobody is going to disagree is the cream of the crop best team in the AFC. And the Browns lined up across from them and just played football and beat them for three and a half quarters. And then we botched a punt, we fumbled, and we threw an interception. And the difference between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cleveland Browns is that good teams, elite teams like the Chiefs, just don't make those kinds of mistakes. They just don't. And if they do, they max out at one per game of boneheaded, terrible mistakes. But we went three and a half quarters playing mistake-free, and guess what? Beating the Chiefs. The Browns were beating the Chiefs early in it. This was funny. This was frustrating. But early in the fourth quarter, the uh, and I'm such a crybaby, and I get that. But early in the fourth quarter, the Browns, um, you know, they're I think they're up by one score. They have the ball. They drive it down. And again, cool, calm, collected. They score a touchdown. And I literally tweeted out something like, oh, my God, like this. This feels like I'm watching a good football team. The team didn't panic. They needed points, and they just went out and got them in the fourth quarter against the Chiefs when they really needed it, something the Browns have never done. And then and then they just shit the bed. Like, And then it was the three things I said, the, the, the botched punt, the interception, and the fumble, in, not in that order, but whatever. And it's like the Browns going to Browns, right? In fact, I'm pretty sure Barstool tweeted – Browns got brownsed. So I tweeted something along the lines of, hey, well, I feel so good to finally root for a team that's just actually good, where I'm not cringing on every single play thinking this is the one where a disaster happens. And then three of the next 12 plays were complete and utter disasters. So I jinxed it. I'm the one. I'm the one who got God's attention. <laughs> God was like, wait, what? God's scrolling Twitter. He follows me, by the way, for some reason. He sees my tweet about the Browns playing good. He turns on the game and he goes, we can't have this. And then that's what happened. All right, that was super sacrilege. I, I apologize to my parents for the blasphemy on that one. 
No good. No good whatsoever. So anyway, football being back is good, but the week, you know, week one was obviously a little bit stressful. And uh, this week, today, Bills, Dolphins, Browns, Texans, a little bit more exciting. Uh, busy week, uh, busy time also as I was starting to talk about the um, just time of year in festival season because we are at two festivals this weekend. My team, my Guglielmo Sauce team, Maeve, Everine, don't know what I would do without these girls. Uh, we are at the Purple Painted Lady Festival in Palmyra, and we are also at the Cuca Arts Festival down in uh, Penyan this weekend. Next weekend's another double festival. We're at the Naples Grape Festival, and uh, we are also at Apple Umpkin, which is actually a festival that we have never done before. This is going to be a new festival for us, but it's one of those ones that everyone I would talk to in the festival circuit, because we become like carnies, all the festival people all know each other, and we give each other advice on good festivals. For a couple of years, I would hear, hey, you got to do Apple Umpkin. You got to do Apple Umpkin. Got to do Apple Umpkin. So finally this year, I, well, actually, I think last year I tried to sign up, but of course, COVID, no festivals last year, but uh, it's good to be back at festivals this year. So double up again next weekend. Unfortunately, next weekend, one of my girls has a uh, um, a wedding, so I will actually be working my own booth at the Naples Grape Festival next weekend. Everine will be down at Apple Umpkin. So Naples holds a special place in my heart because Naples was actually the second festival that we ever did. As a company, the first one we ever did, and this is such a walk down memory lane because I was lucky enough to be featured, thank you, Velvet Spicer, in the RBJ this week, and I got to tell the story I always tell, and she actually included pieces of the story that nobody has ever included before. I've always told those pieces of the story. If you haven't read it yet, uh, we'll probably put it up on the um, social media or something, but um, the, uh, the, the pieces that I always included was how I didn't think I'd be in Rochester for long because I came here for radio. Um, and then I always have a joke where I say, it turns out two things kept me here. Uh, you know, I, th I always thought I was going to come here. It's a medium, media market. I'd come here, I'd move on to a big market. But two things that kept me here. Number one, Rochester's awesome. And number two, I'm not that good at media. <laughs> so I didn't belong in a bigger market. Um, but she included that. And then also about the first time I ever came to Rochester, you know, she said something like I thought I was going to see Rolling Hills. I mean, I was joking if I said that, but I didn't, I, you know, I anticipated just seeing like strip plazas. I didn't anticipate seeing tall rise buildings, you know. So the first time I ever came up 490, uh, right there around like the 390 interchange, we come up kind of over the hill and you can see the skyline of Rochester. The first time I ever saw that, I do. I absolutely thought to myself. Look at you, Rochester. Okay. 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 I see you, Rochester. Okay, look at you. <laughs> you know? Uh, I, that's true. That's a true story. But also in that article, we talked about how we launched our sauce business at the Riesling Festival, August 9th, 2014. That is true. The second festival we did was about a month and a half later, and it was indeed the Naples Grape Festival. And that was one where I learned, too. I remember this so clearly. I learned... Two very valuable lessons at that second festival. First lesson I learned was to be careful when I open my doors when I pull up at my booth. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, I, back then, I didn't have a van yet, like a commercial vehicle. I was just driving my personal vehicle, and I would stuff it full of everything I needed. Tent, chairs, napkins, you know, everything, literally everything I had. I stuffed into that car, 
and I and sauce cases and cases of sauce. And there wasn't an inch. There wasn't an inch of breathing room in that car. And I would drive down to any festival I had, and, and this this time being the Naples Grape Festival. And I honestly, I did it like that for a couple of years. But this is where I learned this lesson. I drive to the Naples Grape Festival, I get to my booth, I jump out of the driver's seat, I go to the back of my car, I open my trunk, and like seven things just come crashing out of my trunk, including a couple cases of sauce that then broke and shattered everywhere. And meanwhile, I'm the newbie, right? I'm the rookie, the vendor who nobody knows yet. I haven't been doing it for years at this point yet. I'm the guy who no one's met. And it was just so embarrassing. I was such a rookie. The other thing that was very rookie about me, that's the festival where I learned I needed to weigh down my tent. Because the first festival we did was Riesling. We were honestly so naive at the Riesling Festival that we took our entire setup down after the first night and then went back again the second morning and set it all up again. And at the time, my setup was just a tent, a couple of tables, and a bunch of sauce. That was really it. Uh, and I did have my little cooking pot, whatever, and I would make sauce. But um, this this one was the one where I finally learned the lesson of, like, weighing down my tent. There was some wind. The tent kept trying to blow away. And, you know, it's just little lessons you just kind of learn the hard way, I guess. You don't know that you need the weights on your tent until the first time you realize your tent's about to blow away. And then you think... Wow, that makes sense. That's why everyone else has these giant cinder blocks attached to their tent. <laughs> so Naples holds a special place in my heart. The other thing about the Naples Grape Festival that holds a special place in my part in my heart is that for one reason or another, I've done it every single year, and this year the tradition continues. And here's what I mean by that. So from 2014 until 2017, I did every single festival. And my wife would come and she would usually give me a lunch break, maybe, you know, an hour on the Saturday, a couple hours on Sunday, just a chance for me to kind of sit down behind the tent, kind of hide out and just, you know, eat a little something, get my energy back. Well, in 2018, we finally hired somebody to work festivals. And for whatever reason, she couldn't work the Naples Grape Festival. So I worked it. In 2019 was when we started doubling up and doing multiple events on weekends. And for whatever reason, 2019, I think it was I didn't have more than one employee at that time. I just had the one promotions girl who, shout out, was my sister-in-law, Emma. And, uh, you know, we had two events that weekend. So I sent her to the one and, uh, and I think I also at that point had my right-hand man, Nick Riggio, with me too. Uh, so one of them, I don't remember how it worked out, but one of them went to do the one festival. The other one wasn't available, and I ended up at Naples again in 2019. Then, of course, 2020, Naples doesn't happen. Here we are, 2021, and one of my girls can't work this weekend, so I'll be there at Naples. So at this point, it's almost become sweet where every year since 2014, other than 2020, of course, We've done the Naples Grape Festival as a company, and not only have we done it, but I've personally worked the booth the entire weekend um, every single year. And I just think that's kind of cool. It's almost at this point now, it's happened by accident, sort of by happenstance every year. But now I'm starting to realize this needs to just become a tradition. I'll just do it every year. You know, that'll be like the one that I do myself. And that's not to say that I'm above doing festivals myself or anything. Uh, I'm happy to do them. But let's be honest, the smartest way to uh, grow a business is hire people to do things so that you can do other things. Like this afternoon, I'm sitting in my basement recording a podcast. 
<laughs> that doesn't look as good, but I am actually leaving this and going straight upstairs and continuing on work, which I was doing before I took a break to record this podcast. So anyway, uh, yeah, so busy time with festivals as well, but really these are some of the best festivals. I, I really, I think the fall has some of the best ones. Unfortunately, a couple cancellations, right? Uh, usually Hilton Apple Festival's coming up, but that's canceled this year. That's always a good one. But I do see that Rock Holiday Village in November, December is on for this year. So that's exciting. Very exciting. Um, sorry about too many episodes in a row. I do think we'll get back to interviews next week. Right now, I only have one thing lined up, and it doesn't even have a date yet. So it might not be next week, but I will be talking to Lizzie and Ronnie from Love and Cup in the very near future. Love and Cup. Why did I say that? Lizzie and Ronnie from Le Petit Poutine. I don't know why I said Love and Cup. Why is Love and Cup on my mind? I love Love and Cup. Love Leslie. But I don't know why I said Love and Cup. Lizzie and Ronnie from Le Petit Poutine. They're getting ready to open a brick and mortar across from Three Heads. That's going to be unbelievably popular and I'm hoping to get a chance to talk to them before they officially open they're obviously very busy right now but uh, I did text with Ronnie and she did say for sure we're in let's do it so hopefully that one's coming up soon I'll push for that this week no promises for next Sunday but it is coming up sooner than later in the meantime thank you for listening let's go Browns let's go Bills let's go